Let us turn again to the gospel according to Matthew and chapter 28. And we may read from the beginning of the chapter. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And especially the words we have in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now we tend to think <clears throat> in a church and that uh, the, those who preach the gospel and those who are office bearers and men who are outstanding in the church, that they are the most honored people in the church of Christ. That's perhaps the way we see it in this world. But when we read the New Testament, we see that the woman in the church had an honorable place indeed. We see that the women <coughs> were given this honorable place and the Lord put honor on the woman in the New Testament. In peaceful days, we read of our Lord with Martha and Mary. We read of the woman ministering to him of their substance. We read that the women were with him there when he was going to, to be crucified, they followed him all the way to Golgotha. And even in the darkness, they lingered on. They waited until he died. And then they followed those who were carrying his corpse to the grave. And then we see that the woman who followed him and ministered, that they prepared spices. And they were first at the grave on the resurrection morning. So the women in the gospel have a great and honorable place. It may be that, as someone remarked, that uh, the Lord first appeared to the woman because it was through the woman that Satan tempted Adam and they brought, through her, brought sin into the world. And this was a reason why the Lord spoke to the woman first and revealed himself to the woman so that through the woman the good news could be brought to the church. It was a woman who broke the alabaster box on the head of Christ. And let us ever remember, no matter how women may feel discontented sometimes in the church, sometimes they want to be, have the places that which men have, but women have a great and honorable place in the kingdom of God, the, as honorable as that of men, as honorable as men have. And we see then 
that these women came to the, the, the tomb in the early morning while it was yet dark. They were no doubt alarmed at the earthquake and the angel coming. Indeed, this mighty angel struck terror into the soldiers. They became like dead men. They were frozen with fear. They perhaps fainted. It struck terror into them. But the same angel said to the woman, You don't have to be afraid. Fear not. I know why you came to the, the grave. And we hear these words which are so well known to us. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. This angel's beckoning them. And the angel beckons us to come and stand by the side of this empty grave. This empty grave. Now, we remember that Christ is a Lord of angels also. The angels were no doubt full of amazement. They were filled with wonder at what Christ had done. That in, he had taken human nature, that he had passed right through death, and had risen again, and was now uh, uh, resurrected, the resurrected Saviour. I, I always like when I read of a, a certain preacher what he said about them it's you only using his imagination but he was thinking of these angels the two angels in the tomb speaking to each other one stand sitting at one end and one at the other end of where the Lord lay and one saying there's where his feet were and the other saying here's where his head was and that's where his hands were and speaking to each other with joy that it was empty and that these two angels kissed the stone they loved that place where the Lord had lain now that's only perhaps imagination but let us remember that he is the Lord of angels also the angels are ministering spirits for the heirs of glory they are ministering spirits and he is their Lord also and we see then that the angel said to the woman ye seek Jesus who was crucified he said come see the place where the Lord lay and <clears throat> first of all these angels were beckoning him to come to this grave now we know that sometimes perhaps every year there are bus runs in our land and down in the, uh, uh, the, the lowlands and there they take you around the graves of martyrs. They want to show us places where the remains of people are, where they gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And people come and they gaze at these graves, and it's good to see them and to remember these people. But here we have the angel beckoning us, telling the church, come to this grave, come to this place, this sepulchre, and you'll find it empty. It's empty. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And this is one tomb where there was, were no noxious smells or anything like that. There was no corruption in it. Because the body of our Lord and Savior couldn't see corruption. It couldn't be corrupted. He had never sinned. There was nothing of personal sin in his body and it couldn't see corruption. And this is one tomb where there was nothing unpleasant 
like that about it. And it was a, a new tomb, a rich man's tomb, and a tomb where never man had lain before, a princely tomb. Because it, it may be that God had said, that's enough. They have disgraced the body of my son. They have spattered it. They scourged it. They despised it. They crucified him in the body. That's enough. He has been disgraced enough. And now princes are going to bear him to the tomb. Now he's going into a princely tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. A borrowed tomb because the sins that he was bearing, they weren't his own sins. They were the sins of other people, of all his people. And because of this, it was a borrowed tomb. A borrowed tomb. Now, when we think of this empty tomb and the message of the angels, they said, he is not here for he is risen. He is risen. Let us remember that the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ is part of the great foundation stone of the whole of Christianity. The whole of Christianity. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, there would be no Christianity today. No Christian religion. No Christianity today. All we have hangs upon him. It depends upon what work he has done. The work he has completed. Now I know that people speak of theories and they speak of views and things about the resurrection of Christ but we don't speak about theories it's, we have nothing to do with theories in this matter we speak about facts the Christian church looks to things that were facts not ideas and views and theories they look to this great fact of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and Paul says if Christ be not risen then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain and we be found liars unto God because Paul preached the resurrection of Christ that he had seen him he had seen him with his own eyes the resurrected Christ and so all we have depends upon this did Christ rise from the dead or not he, the, the facts given to us is that he rose from the dead and there are some today and they've been they've been rising in the church for many generations who say it doesn't really matter whether Christ rose from the dead or not it doesn't really matter for the Christian religion you perhaps remember if you've ever heard of the theory of the late Dr. Barclay when he claimed that the resurrection of Christ wasn't really a physical resurrection he claimed it was just his views were resurrected and the illustration he gave was a newspaper editor his influence on the newspaper his ideas in the newspaper and that editor dies but his ideas are continued in the newspaper his views are continued in the newspaper that was his view of the resurrection of Christ the, the Jehovah Witnesses, they tell us that it wasn't a real resurrection. It wasn't the resurrection of his body, a physical resurrection. They say it was only an apparition, a kind of thing just to, to show people that, that Christ wasn't really gone forever. 
but not a physical, that is, body rose from the dead. Now there are plenty of views that people bring to us. There's what the spiritualists believe, that it was only his spirit that rose from the dead. His spirit rose from it, they say. Well, the word used in the scriptures, in the New Testament, anastasis, means, and it never means anything else, but that it's a physical resurrection of a body from the dead. It doesn't mean a spiritual resurrection. And our Lord came to the disciples and said, Handle me. See that I'm not a spirit. Again he said to Peter, Stretch forth your hands. Your, put your finger, your hand into my side, and your fingers into the prints of the nails in my hands. Feel me. See that I'm a, a body. I'm, I'm, I, I've really risen from the dead. When he met them at the sea, again, he asked for boiled fish to show them that he had a real body. And John said afterwards, whom we have seen and handled of the word of life. Whom we have seen and handled of the word of life. And we see then the hope of every believer. The hope of the whole church depends on this that Christ rose again from the dead. If Christ is a true vine, and we are the branches, what hope have we if the vine remains dead? What hope have we if his body was corrupted in the grave somewhere? What hope have we of that? But if Christ is a vine and we are the branches, then we have hope, and all our hope is based on it, that he rose again from the dead that we have hope because he says because I live ye shall live also we have hope and the hope that we cherish the hope which every believer cherishes it depends upon the resurrection from the dead we have this in the epistle of Peter he says blessed be God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. But not only that, not only our hope, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then it means that his sacrifice, his work, was never accepted. And we read, in, uh, the apostle says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. For our justification. Now the hope of every believer is this, that Christ rose from the dead. And when we read the evidence given to us in the scriptures and in the church, there, there isn't a, a fact which is, has a greater attestation than this, that he rose from the dead that Christ actually rose from the dead, that Christ is in heaven tonight, that human nature changed, prepared for glory, as every resurrection body will be, that it's in heaven tonight, that he's on the throne tonight, that our king and priest is there tonight, the elder brother of all his people. He's in glory tonight. He actually rose, his physical, in, phys physically rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven. And we see that 
there's no doctrine which is stressed more in the New Testament than this. The resurrection of Christ from the dead. It's referred to again and again and again. And there's no doctrine which is more clearly taught in the New Testament than that Jesus rose again from the dead. That he had a resurrection on the third day. He himself told he was going to rise from the dead. He told the disciples this. And remember the illustration he gave that as Jonas was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so would the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. He told again, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. I will raise it again. Now, all we have rests upon Christ, his work. All we have rests upon it. Our salvation rests upon it. It doesn't just rest upon our being regenerated again. It doesn't even rest upon on our being born again of the Holy Spirit. It rests upon the work which Christ has completed and that Christ rose again from the dead. Now, the apostle said he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again. Why? For our justification. It means if he was never raised, then we cannot be justified. But here we have the seal. Here we have God giving the receipt for all that Christ has done. Christ was raised from the dead. He, he was victorious. He won through it all. He went right through death. He carried the sins of his people away. The wages of sin is death. And Christ paid it. And he rose again from the dead. So we see that the, he finished his work. And now he can, he's alive forevermore. He says, I am he that is alive and was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Alive forevermore. Amen. Here we have a great wonder. Here we have a great wonder and the hope of the whole church. Now, we know that not only did the disciples believe it, just think of the disciples just now. They were a defeated discouraged people at the cross of Calvary. They were a people who were afraid at the cross of Calvary. They were ready to run. They were scattered. And then three days later, what do we find about the disciples? Suddenly, they're filled with energy. They're filled with life. They're ready to lay their life down. Death has lost its sting for them. They're not afraid of death now. We find Peter and John before the Sanhedrin boldly saying that Christ rose again from the dead. Twice they were brought before the Sanhedrin. Peter was at least twice. And both times he told them boldly that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin, if they could have said it was a fraud, they, they would certainly have done it. They seemed to believe it because we, we find them eventually saying, you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you're trying to say we are guilty of his death. If Christ had been a fraud, they would have said we're right in putting him to death. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, they would have said he was a fraud. But they couldn't say anything. They were admitting that they believed what, what was said. And these soldiers 
soldiers, Roman soldiers, trained men, they came and they told what happened. Would they have fallen asleep? It would have meant death to them if they fell asleep at their watch. It would have meant death to them, send us to death. And these men, they were at the, at the, at the tomb. And all the, the, the evidence everywhere, it's there that Christ rose again from the dead and we read that he revealed himself to over 500 people at one time. In many different circumstances, different places, it couldn't be an illusion. It couldn't be a thing of the imagination. For 40 days, he revealed himself again and again and again to the people in the church. Now, we have three monuments today of the resurrection of Christ. We have three monuments, and these three put together, they can't be moved. First of all, we have the very fact of Christianity, that there's a Christian church in the world. We have the fact that there is a Christian church in the world. If Christ, his body had been stolen, they would have had nothing to say. They couldn't say, they, these people would have been defeated. If the Jewish authorities had taken his body away, they would soon have brought it back when people were saying he rose again from the dead. The, the disciples, would they go and give their lives for a lie? Would they be willing to lay their lives down for lies? Their character was against that. They were, that weren't these kind of people. They, they witnessed that Christ rose again from the dead. And the very fact that we have a church in the world today is a witness that the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. We have another monument, and that is our Sabbath day on the first day of the week. And the Jews were so attached to their traditions and to the moral law of God that even the Jewish Christians would never never have agreed for the Sabbath day to be, to be moved to the first day of the week if, it, if, the, if the resurrection wasn't a reality. If it wasn't a reality. It's the same Sabbath. It's like a stream coming from the Garden of Eden where God gave it first, running down through history, down through the Old Testament to the days when, till Christ rose again from the dead and then a little bend in the stream and it carries on still, still the same Sabbath, still the same Sabbath day. The commandment is still the same, but the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But the fact that it's on the first day of the week, this day of the week, it's a standing monument that Christ rose again from the dead. Now, another monument is this. Every believer, every person you see, no matter how low they, they are in the esteem of the world, no matter how humble they are, every single believer, every person brought from death to life is a standing monument of Christ's resurrection that he conquered, that he rose again from the dead. And it's like someone who used to paint a famous painter once and they used to see his works in the shop windows in a place in Europe and many people admired his works and at last it wasn't seen anymore and two or three years passed no sign of his paintings 
and everyone said, he's dead. But then suddenly, they saw paintings appearing again, and they recognized his work. And that work told them that the painter was still alive. It told them that the painter was still alive. And when we see people turning from their sins to Christ, people born again of the Holy Spirit, it's his work, his work. And it tells us that Christ rose again from the dead. He's alive and alive forevermore. Alive forevermore. Now, the angels were beckoning to the empty tomb. They're saying, come see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see it. Have a look at it. And he beckons us to the tomb also. The word of God beckons us to come to this tomb and to look into it, this empty tomb. And we see that it tells us, first of all, that he died, that Christ died. Now, some people rose in a church who, as so many heretics have come, and with all their theories trying to destroy the gospel, Satan's always at work. And they came with what we call the swoon theory. They say that Christ didn't really die, that he went into a swoon, and he was carried into the grave, and they say that these uh, ointments and things, they revived him in the tomb, and he came out again. Now just think of what they're saying. Pilate certified that Christ was dead. The Roman soldier put a spear into his side, men who were used to death, and they knew that he was dead, so they didn't break his, his bones. And he was carried by men who knew that he was dead. That body was lifeless. It was motionless. This, the soul was gone from his body. He was dead. The Son of God. God manifest in the flesh. The Lord of glory. He was dead. He was dead. And he was carried into the tomb. And think of what those who, who have the swoon theory try to tell us. A man who had been scourged. A man who had been crucified. A man who had been so weakened in his human body, in his body, and then taken into a tomb and reviving again, with a, but a hundred weight of spices on him and clothes, being bound up in these clothes, getting up from that and shifting the great stone away, getting past the guards, and then supposed to reveal himself to the disciples, and then going away and disappearing. That's what they claimed. Would the disciples have gone around the way they were if they hadn't seen Christ on the third day? If they hadn't seen the risen Savior? Well, the, whatever the swoon, people with the swoon theory say, the angels beckon us to the grave and say, see the place where the Lord lay. And the word of God is clear about it, that he was dead, that our Lord and Savior that he was dead, that he carried the motionless clay to the grave, that he wound that body in grave clothes, and they laid that body in the tomb, in the grave. Well, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And let it bring home to us the bitterness of sin, because the Word of God tells us that the wages of sin 
is death. The wages of sin is death. And had Christ paid every penny for his people, that dead body, was, was, it, it, it spoke of every single penny being paid for the sins of his people. The wages of sin is death. It tells us how terrible our sins are, how terrible they were and they are. Nothing could clear them away. Angels couldn't take them away. We couldn't take it away. Go into a lost eternity, into hell forever. That would never take our sin away. But Christ came into the world, and by his one offering, he took our sin away. Nothing but the blood of Christ could do it. Nothing but the atoning death of Christ could do it. Nothing but his death could do it. And we see him willingly. Do you know, he had the power to lay his life down at any time and take it up again. And dear, for, for these hours on the cross, with all that he was going through, he kept, he was willing to lay his life down for his people. He willingly lay his life down for them. And he could take it up again. But we read, he bowed the head and gave up the ghost. He paid the wages for our sin, the wages for our sin. Now come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come see the love of Christ. See the love of Christ there. See how he loved his people, how he loved them right to the very end. He could have said at any time, that's enough. I've suffered enough. I've gone through enough. No more, these people aren't worth it. But he didn't. He loved his people to the very end. Greater love than this hath no man, and that a man should lay his life down for his friends. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Many waters couldn't quench that love. There were so many things against it. Neither could the floods drown it. So much against it. But yet he went on and on until at last he went into death. He put himself under the power of death. <clears throat> he made himself the lawful captive of death. And but now he rose again from the dead. And death had no longer dominion over him. It couldn't hold him. He broke the gates of brass. He cut the bars of iron asunder. Death couldn't hold Christ. It couldn't hold him. But yet he went into death for his people. So come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, here we see his love and the love of God. The love of God when the one whose life was the most precious life that was ever in this world, the blood that was shed was the most precious blood that could ever be. That human nature was the most precious human nature that, 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 that could ever be. It was the human nature of the Son of God, of the Son of God. And there you come to a tomb and you see the place where that human nature lay dead, where that human nature lay dead. Well, he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And this is the hope, the comfort, and the, the joy of the Church of Christ, that he rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. He rose from it. Now, if we were 
sentenced, going to be sentenced at a court if we had committed some crime. And we were there standing before the judge. And the judge was going to sentence us. And then a friend came forward and stepped forward and said, I'll take his place. And if this was allowed by the court, and he took our place, and he was sentenced in a room and place, and he was put into prison for some, so many years because of our crime. And then years later, we're walking along the street, and we see our friend free. We see him walking free along the street. What message does that have for us? It's this, that he rose again for our justification, that all our sentence has been fulfilled, that all our guilt has been cleared away, that justice is completely satisfied with what our friend has done. Justice is satisfied on our behalf because of what he has done. And when we read of Christ rising again from the dead, we read there of the justification of all his people. God is satisfied. His honor is unimpaired. Justice is fully satisfied. And God's law is honored. And Christ, he rose again from the dead. He has satisfied everything on behalf of all his people. On behalf of all his people. Well, we see that uh, the believer... Oh, it's little wonder that these disciples, they could look to death now with joy because they knew that their master had conquered. He's in heaven now. Oh, there's no longer a Judas who can betray him now. Herod can no longer lay hold of him now or mock him with his men of war. He's like a great conqueror in an army in the battle. He has waded his way through his enemies. He has smitten his enemies right and left. He took the standard, went right into the castle and captured it. And he's now in a place where no bullet or arrow can ever reach him. Our Savior's in heaven tonight. He's in glory tonight. And he says to his church, Because I live, you shall live also. Ye shall live also. And no matter what struggles we have in this world, if Christ is your Savior, the end is going to be glorious. You're going to be happy forevermore. It doesn't matter what our struggles are in the world. Well, here we have Christ. Remember what Paul said about our Lord Jesus. Fourteen years after getting to know Christ, his cry was, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. When we see tram cars in cities, we used to see them, it spoke of power, power coming from the powerhouse. And Paul felt that power. When we see people brought to life, it speaks of the power of Christ, the power of Christ, that he rose again from the dead. And Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, the influence it had in his life, the power it had in his life, that the Lord Jesus Christ had risen again from the dead. And what he said was, I want more of this in my life. I want a greater, a greater knowledge of this person. I want to find more and more of it all the time. Fourteen years after getting to know Christ, he was still wanting to get more and more and more of something he had already gotten. Something he had already gotten. More of it. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection. And when Paul was trying to encourage Timothy, when there were many heretics risen in the church, the church was surrounded by troubles. Inside and outside there were trouble, troubles. And Paul said to Timothy, Remember, Jesus Christ risen again from the dead. Whatever troubles there are, whatever trials there are for the church, remember the one who's in heaven tonight, risen from the dead. Now, my friends, still without Christ, come see the place where the Lord lay. Let it remind you, that grave, that you're going to die, and I'm going to die. And that if you die without Christ as your Savior, it'll be a terrible death. Your life will be terrible without Christ. Your death will be terrible without Christ. The day, your resurrection will be terrible without Christ. The day of judgment will be terrible without Christ. Your eternity will be terrible without Christ. Your eternity. But if we have Christ, then your life will be good with Christ. Your death will be blessed with Christ. Your resurrection will be glorious with Christ. The day of judgment will be happy with Christ. Your eternity will be glorious and joyful and happy with Christ, if you have Christ. But let me ask you, do, you, do we have a share in this resurrection tonight? Do we have a share in this thing that Christ has done? Have we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your saviour tonight? We're going to have a share in death. We're all going to have a share in these things. But the question for each one of us is this. Do we have a share in what the work which Christ has finished and the, the victory which has won? The victory which has won. He rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. And is he your elder brother? And my elder brother who rose again from the dead. Is it your saviour and my saviour who rose again from the dead? This is a great question we should be asking tonight. Do we believe in the one who rose again from the dead, who's alive tonight, who's in glory tonight? Oh, you believe perhaps in something story in the Bible, something you hear sometimes about, something that happened long ago. But do you believe tonight that he's a risen saviour, that he is actually and in reality in glory tonight, that he knows our hearts tonight, he sees us tonight, he knows everything about us tonight, and he's the one who invites you to put your hope and your trust in him tonight. He's the one who tells you to come to him tonight, and who tells you, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But remember, it must be real believing. It must be real faith. Not just a little response in our minds. Not just an assent to the gospel. If we believe in Christ, if we believe in the one who's in heaven tonight, if he's your saviour tonight and my saviour, he'll lay hold on your heart. And we cannot help but take up the cross and follow him through this world if we really believe in, in him. Remember what he said, 
Him, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Well, he's going to come again and he's going to judge the world and you're going to meet him. I'm going to meet him. We're going to stand before him. We're all going to stand before him. But what a glorious day it will be for those who put their hope and their trust in him. What a dreadful day it will be, a terrible day, if we have rejected him, if we have despised him, if we have turned our backs upon him. Now those who don't believe that he rose again from the dead, those who don't believe in the, the historical facts of the resurrection of Christ, and who just go by theories, they're turning their back on the real Christ, turning their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never believe in him and receive in him and embrace him unless we believe he's alive tonight. We can't do that. It's not just a shadow. It's a real and living Savior. But is he your Savior tonight? Let us pray. Ever gracious one, we pray that the reality of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ may be brought home to each one of us, that we do not put our hope in a dead Savior, but in one who was dead and who rose again and who is even now at the right hand of glory. And, O oh, gracious one, we pray that thou look upon us this evening, that thou would send the Holy Spirit with power, and that people may be drawn to thyself, that they may be brought to life, from death to life, that they may become living monuments of the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Saviour. Be with us now and pardon our sins, and forgive anything which was said or done, which was contrary to or against thy word or thy will. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.